So we are in Genesis chapter 47. And we left, uh, we left Joseph and his family, right? The, the family had all come down and he got them settled in Goshen. Just a reminder that they've already been through at least two years of famine. And we're going to see in 47, we're going to see as this famine deepens how they survived. And this, I think this is really applicable to us today because we're going to, this is one of those messages I'm going to throw in some things that are really practical for us because it's interesting to watch the news about what's happening in this day. I've said before, uh, we're somewhere in Matthew chapter 24 in the end times and it's talked about things like it talks about earthquakes. Anybody know we had an earthquake off the Oregon coast? This last week, right? Yeah, 4.6, 100 miles offshore. Didn't no, no tsunamis or anything, but things are waking up. Uh, Mount Hood, last weekend they had a cluster of 30 small earthquakes on Mount Hood. Anybody remember Mount St. Helens? What was going on, right? A lot of things going on in this world. Just this morning, Oregon State put out a, a, a notice, a paper actually, on how to prepare for the Cascadia subduction earthquake that they figure will be 8.5 to 9, and it will cause a tsunami that will reach I-5. And they said, be prepared for two weeks. You know, most of the time, if you look, uh, you know, you'll see Red Cross says, be prepared for 72 hours should be prepared for no essential services to come to you for at least two weeks. At least two weeks. So we're going to talk about today how to survive troubled times. Because the reality is, I don't know that the world's going to get much better. Now you're like going, that's a downer, Pastor. Well, the, but, but as we look at this world, what do we see? We see things Speeding up, progressing. And so let's go to uh, chapter 47 of Genesis. And let's look at this as Jacob's family comes and settles. And I'm going to give you some principles today on how to survive troubled times directly from what Joseph and his family did. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 47. I want to read the first 12 verses of Genesis 47. Then Joseph went in and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers and their flocks and their herds, all that they have have come out of the land of Canaan, and behold, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And so they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now therefore, please let your servants live in the land of Goshen. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is at your disposal. Settle your father and your brothers in the midst of the land, and let them live in the land of Goshen. 
And if you know of any capable men among them, then put them in charge of my livestock. And then Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many years have you lived? So Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my sojourning are 130 Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they obtained the years of my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. And so Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had ordered. And Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all his household with food according to their little ones. We're going to stop there. Do you remember what Joseph was, or what uh, Jacob was like when he was younger? He was a pretty proudful guy. Look at all I have done. I've got 12 children. I've got all of these flocks that God has blessed me with. And he would go and he would brag about things. And we see Joseph in a much different light now, don't we? 130 years old. How many want to be 130? Not me. I don't know that I want to live that long. The first principle is to be humble in receiving. To be humble in receiving because, because these guys could have done all kinds of things. They could have said, look, my brother's Joseph. He's the number two guy. He's the one who's in charge of all of this. That's my son. And, and Jacob could have come and said, look at all that we're bringing down here, all of the flocks, because Jacob had been very successful. Look at the herds we're bringing down. But Jacob comes in humbleness, he comes saying, and I find it interesting when he says in verse, uh, verse okay, I'm going to get there. Nine, verse nine, the years of my sojourning are 130. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life. Wow, what a change in his attitude, few and unpleasant have been all of those years. Not, look at all I have. Look at all I've done. Look at all my sons. Few and unpleasant. And notice the other thing is twice it says he blesses Pharaoh. Has he got in touch with his God? Absolutely. He walks in in front of Pharaoh and he says, be blessed of the one and true God. Twice he does that, coming in and when he leaves. God has humbled his heart and when he's received, I mean, they received a, an amazing gift in being in the land of Goshen. Remember we talked about that? That's the delta where all the Nile River spreads out and it's got lush grass Perfect place for, for a bunch of shepherds to land. God gave them the best of the land, but he's humble in his receiving. Well, for the next two principles, I want to 
go back to 41 when this starts. When the, before the famine starts, I want to go back to 41 and I want to read a couple verses out of 41 to grab a couple more principles. 41 verse 46. Now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land. And during the seven years of plenty, the land brought forth abundantly. So he gathered all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and placed the food in the cities. And he placed every city the food from its own surrounding fields. Thus Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he stopped measuring it for it was beyond measure. The next principle, principle two, is to save, save, save in the good times. What do we have a tendency to do when, when life's good? Spin, 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 right? And, and Joseph knew, he said, he said, I need to save. Save, save, save during these good times. I've got to build it up because we've got to last seven years that God had already told him. It's going to be seven years of famine. And he saved so much that, uh, that he was able to not only bless Egypt, not only bless his family, but he's literally going to bless the world. He, he's going to save people by what he did. Save in the good times. We got a class coming up, uh, Financial Peace University. And I would really encourage you uh, to take that. And you say, well, I, you know, we're doing okay financially. It is a class that truly will bless you in, in principles like this. Save. For the, in the good times, so when the bad times come, we don't have to get credit cards out to pay bills. We don't have to worry. But save, save, save. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8 says, Go to the ant, O slugger. Observe her ways and be wise, which has no chief, officer, or ruler, and prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. Isn't that an awesome thought? Wow, we, we get all this. I grew up canning. Uh, my mom canned, she, had, she kept track. She canned about a thousand quarts a year to feed a family of six. You didn't go to the store and buy green beans or corn or, you know, we had, we, had, uh, we used to go get 50 chickens at a time from the chicken farm. And we had a little processing plant out on our back, back porch and everybody got involved in it. But, but saving up for when it's good times so you're not worried about when the bad times come. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. Amazon. Anybody, anybody shop on Amazon? Come on. Yeah, right? They have the one-click button, don't they? You don't even have to put your credit card in. Just buy now. And it'll come to your door. Right? 
Hasty comes surely to poverty. I, I better clean this up because somebody might be offended by that. But we need to be take advantage, be diligent in the good times so that when the bad time comes, we're not worried. Proverbs 31. That, you know, when we look at Proverbs, it has, in, in 31, it's talking about who? The, it's talking about money, but it's talking about the, the diligent woman, the, the, the worthy woman who runs her household. And I want you to just pick some of these verses out of here. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. Wow. Man, she's investing and taking those investing investments and planning for the future. Uh, verse 18. She senses that her gain is good and her lamp does not go out at night, burning the midnight oil. Stirring the pear butter. Thank you, David. That was wonderful. They, they shared some of their, their goods with you. Oh, their pear butter is really good. Uh, verse 20. She extends her hand to the poor and she stretches out hands to the needy. Verse uh, 24. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Wow. All kinds of things that this wonderful uh, woman that it describes here in Proverbs 31 does to prepare her family, not just for today, but for down the road. Well, principle number three, let's look at 50, let's go back to 41, chapter 41, and let's look at verses 56 and 57. And when the famine had spread over all the face of the earth, then Joseph opened all the storehouse and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine was severe in the land of Egypt, and the people of where? Of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. Joseph's ability to save gave him, to save in the good times, gave him the ability to share in the bad times. His, his ability to save in the good times gave him the ability to share in the bad times. And isn't that what we're supposed to do as a church, right? We're supposed to take care of one another. Notice he took care of his family, and he took care of the Egyptians first. Those were his responsibility. That's why he had been put in place. And after he'd taken care of all of those, he started reaching out to to the other people around the world say, come, we've got green. Come, we don't want you to die. Come share with us. We have, we have, we have enough to share with everyone. Proverbs 3, 27 says, Do not withhold good from those whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Boy, what a, does that change your mind a little bit on some of the things as we, we look at people and we go, do they really deserve that? I, you know, sometimes we just say, do I have the ability to meet that need? Isn't that what this verse is talking about? They have a need, I have the ability to meet that need. You think God's going to refill, your, refill your, your, your plenty if you give your some away? Absolutely. Proverbs 31, what did it say? She extends her hand to the poor. and She stretches out hands to the needy. 
If God has blessed us, we need to be touching those who don't have. Well, let's go back to chapter 47, and we're going to pick up on the other principles. So So we've had three so far, right? Humbly receive, save, save, save in the good times, share in the bad times. These next ones are kind of interesting. Uh, there's actually books written about it, and you can, you can buy them. It's called The Joseph Principle. And these next four have been employed for centuries by governments. And I believe that we will see these, print, these next four principles again in our lifetime. So I want you to watch these. So Genesis 47, and we're going to start in verse 13. Now there was no food in all the land, because the famine was very severe. So the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. So we're in at least year three of this famine. And Joseph gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they brought, and Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt, in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food, for why should we die in your presence? For our money is all gone. And then Joseph said, give up your livestock and I will give you food for your livestock since your money is gone. And so they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them food in exchange for their horses and their flocks and their herds and their donkeys. And he fed them with food in exchange for all the livestock that year. Then the next year was ended And they came to him the next year and said, We will not hide from our Lord that our money is all spent, and our cattle are my Lord's, and there is nothing left for my Lord except our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we and our land shall be slaves to Pharaoh. So give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. And so Joseph brought, bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For every Egyptian sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. Thus the land became Pharaoh's. For the people he removed them to the cities from one end of Egypt's border to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had an allotment with Pharaoh, and they lived off the allotment which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore he did not sell their land. Four principles that Joseph used that I believe that we will see again. Now, you, some people, there's, there's great uh, disagreement in whether this is good or it's bad. And I'm not going to get on either train. You decide for yourself. There's some people that would say this is socialism. There's other people that say Joseph saved 
the whole world, basically, by what he did. But I want you to understand what he did because it has been used not, not just by him, but by other governments before. Now, one thing I want you to understand about Joseph is he didn't benefit from any of this. He didn't, it wasn't for his personal gain. And we're going to see in the end what he does in the very end when the, when the famine is over in just a few minutes. So the first principle is Joseph controlled the money. Did you see that? He said, come on, buy grain. Bring your money, buy grain. Bring it, bring it in. And when everybody had spent all their money buying grain, he controlled their currency. Uh, for those who, who can remember far back to... Uh, World War II, you'll remember after World War II, they talked about uh, the devaluation of the German mark in Germany, and they would literally have to bring wheelbarrow loads of money to buy a loaf of bread. Their money wasn't worth anything. What do we do today? We borrow. We borrow. You know, personally we do that, and governments do that. They go out and they borrow money to stabilize the economy. Well, Joseph said, no. Once the money's all spent, it's not worth anything anymore. So Joseph controlled the money. Basically, he brought them into a barter economy, because the next year, what did he do? He controlled their food source, and their transportation. He said, bring me your livestock. He said, bring me, first of all, your herds, right? Sheep, goats, cattle, things you could eat, because they couldn't afford to feed them anymore. I mean, anybody who's had cows know they eat a lot. And especially if there's no more grass, what are they having to feed them? Grain. They're feeding them the same thing they're eating. So he controlled the food sources. And what else did he, did he take? He took their donkeys and their horses. What, is it, what was their form of transportation in the day? Right? Donkeys and horses. Maybe a few camels thrown in. Right? They, they took away their ability to move. Because what would people do? Oh, well... This city over here has more grain. This city over here has this. But he took away that ability. And then what did he do? And this is a very interesting statement. It says, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> it says he removed them, what did it say? He removed them to the cities from one end of Egypt to the other. He took the people out of the country and pushed them to the city. Now, why did he do that? Two reasons. Where did he put the grain in the first place? In the cities. It said every place that he had gathered grain, he put it into the nearest city. The other thing... Is it easier to control people when they're all in one place? Absolutely. They brought all the people into the cities. 
It's a way to control people. Well, let's look at the third, the next year. He took control of the land and their employment. Now it, and now it says in there that he made them slaves. And that may have a little bit different connotation for us because we, uh, we look at slavery through the lens of basically the Civil War, right? Where people were enslaved, they were brought to work the, fines, work the fields. But basically what he did is anything that they were doing for employment, they now did for Pharaoh. If they had land, they now tilled the land for Pharaoh. We're going to see the outcome of that in just a minute. But he took control of everything. If you want to read a real interesting article, uh, Google the Great Reset. It's very interesting. It talks about governments controlling the property. Uh, I'll leave it for you to, to Google that and read it. But he took control of the land and the people's livelihood, their ability to earn. When, uh, and, and the interesting thing I, I found in there also is what about the religious people? What about the priests? They were already in his hand. Now I want you to understand this is not, the priesthood for the Israelites has not been set up yet. There is no, there is no priesthood. This is the priest in the land of Egypt. They had multiple gods they served. There was multiple temples. But Pharaoh had already had them in his clutches. He already had them in place. He said they gave them their allotment of land and they didn't take it away from him. He made sure they were taken care of. When you read Revelation, what's going to happen in the end with our religious organization? We're going to have a one world church. It's going to be controlled by the Antichrist. Isn't that interesting? That the government is going to take control of the religious, uh, the religious framework in the last days? Just something that, to keep in mind. Well, let's, let's go back to Genesis chapter 47. And let's look, I want to look at the last couple verses. And then I'm going to give you some practical suggestions here. Uh, Verse 47, verse 23. And Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have today bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you that you may sow the land. So what is the time period we're looking at here? We're at the end of the seven years. Because it wouldn't make any sense for him to give them seed to sow the land if it couldn't bear it. The seven years have now passed. And look what he does with all that he's gathered. He said, here is seed for you, and you may sow the land. And the harvest... Ah, see, they're going to have a harvest. Seven years have passed. The harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be yours, your own, for seed for the field, and for your food, and for those of your household, and as food for your little ones. 
So they said, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's slaves. And Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, valid to this day, that Pharaoh should have a fifth. Only the land of the priests was not to become Pharaoh's. What was the outcome of Joseph's principles? What did the people say? You've saved us. The government became the savior. They were willingly now ready to be put under the control of Egypt. They had not, there's no, there's no historical evidence of any tax in Egypt before this time. They had never been taxed. And now, all of a sudden, boom. The, everything's ended. You're going to give 20% of everything you grow to the government to support Pharaoh for the rest of your lives. And they did it willingly. Isn't that interesting how that works? How they set themselves up to be the savior? The government did. And because of that, the people willingly now served the government of Egypt. Well, I'm going to give you a couple practical things that you can do because do we I personally don't want to have to rely on the government to take care of me, right? You know, we've heard you know for for those who are I I turn 65 next year, right? And so what I've paid into all of these years for social security and for Medicare and all that, you know, now they say, well, it's it's somebody else's fund. It's not yours. But anyway, I, I'm, not, I'm not a big gambler on making sure that the government's going to take care of me. So how do we take care of ourselves? I'm going to give you four things that you can do right now, practical things that you can do right now to prepare yourself so that when trouble times come, you're not having to wait for the government to come bail you out. First of all, the first principle that we, or second principle we gave you today, save, save, save in the good times. When God is blessing, when things are, when the economy is good, that is the time to save. That's not the time to say, oh, I can get 0% financing for 84 months for this brand new spanking whatever that vehicle is. Save, save, save in the good times. Principle number one. Number two, prepare a little at a time Overtime. If you were to say, oh man, I just read that report from, from OSU that says we need to be ready for two weeks of non-essential services, uh, for, for not be, being able to get essential services for two weeks if this, if this earthquake happens. And they're not saying, if you'll read the article, they're not saying if, they're saying when, right? Not if, but when it happens. Two weeks. Now we could all jump in and, and take, our, take our Costco gold card out and run down there and say, I'm going to get two weeks worth of everything I need to survive. And Costco would love you at 19% interest. A little at a time over time. Okay? Don't run out and, and try to buy everything that you need. But we're not talking about if trouble times come, 
it may be longer than two weeks. So a little at a time, over time. The next one is plan to take care of not only yourself, but your family. Because, because honestly, folks, do I have more resources than my kids do? Maybe. <laughs> now that I'm retired, I don't know. Uh, but, but I need to make sure that all of my family, my mom's uh, in, her, in her late 80s, and I need to make sure that she's taken care of. And we have a plan in place, at our house anyway, we have a plan in place on what happens if, uh, if the tsunami that they're talking about comes. What's, what's the first thing that's going to happen if, if a big earthquake comes? What happens to our bridges? They're gone. How many rivers are between you and your, your nearest loved one? If you need to get to them, right? What if, what if they're in North Albany and you live here? You know, we found that out a couple times when the floods came, right? 96. I was up on, I was working for the PD at the time and I was marking, every hour I was marking the side of the roadway because ODOT was getting ready. They had already closed off 34. They were getting ready to close off Highway 20 and to get to Corvallis, you would have had to go up to Salem or you would have had to go down to Monroe to get to Corvallis. So have a plan to take care of yourself and your family. And number four, the barter system works when money fails. Now this is interesting, right? The barter system, what is it? I have something that you need. I like pear butter. I like honey. I'm going to go to, I'm going to say, now Dave, I don't have, you know, what do I have that I can share with you so I can have a little bit of your pear butter and a little bit of your honey, right? So I have, I'm going to have something available. Maybe I have a skill set that I can use. I have, a, I have a chainsaw that works really well. I have a tractor I can pull stuff out of the roadway. Maybe I can help out folks. So the barter system works when money fails. Just keep that in mind. Those are four, four practical things that you can do so that we're not waiting for the, for the government to come bail us out. Don't get it done a little bit at a time while you have time, over time. Don't wait to do this. Uh, when Katrina hit, uh, we were on the, the, sitting here, they were actually asking for police officers to come from all over the United States to come to New Orleans to manage what, because what happened to the police officers? They lost their homes too. They lost their cars. They said, bring and plan to self-support yourself for however long you're going to be here. And they were asking folks to come for at least two weeks. Bring your patrol cars. Bring everything to take care of yourself for two weeks while you're here helping us. And that was over a month after the original event. Don't think you've got time to prepare when that warning comes off that, oh, there's a tsunami on the coast, right? We don't want to wait till then. Just some practical advice. So we're going to wind up this chapter 
with a little bit about Jacob. Now, Israel lived in the land of Egypt, Israel being Jacob, lived in the land of Egypt, in Goshen, and they acquired property in it and was fruitful and became very numerous. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. And when the time for Israel to die grew near, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Please, if I have found favor in your sight, place now your hand under my thigh. Deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. Please do not bury me in Egypt. And when I lie down with my fathers, you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. And so he swore to him. Then Israel bowed in worship at the head of the bed. Folks, I got news for you. Life is a terminal condition. None of us are going to get out of it alive unless we, unless we go up in the rapture, right? Tune in my ear to the trumpet, watching the sky. But life is a terminal condition. We all have to prepare for it. One day, if God doesn't return, we're all going to face death. Are we prepared for it? And that is something we have to do individually, right? Hebrews 9, 27 says, Inasmuch as it is appointed men to die once, and after that comes the judgment. All of us, every man, woman, and child on this earth will one day stand before God, and he's gonna, he's, the first question he's going to ask is, What have you done with my son Jesus Christ? Have you accepted him as your personal Savior? Has, has the blood of Christ forgiven your sins? That's who is Jesus. Everyone will stand. And it says every knee will bow. We have all have to make the decision for Christ our own, on our own. Job 14.5 says, Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you, and his limits... Have set his limits, you have set so that he cannot pass. God's already said, This is your day. He's written it down. We don't know when it's going to be. It may be tomorrow, it may be today. We don't know when that day is. He does. And he says, Don't put off for tomorrow what today. You should do today. God gave Jacob 17 more years. 17 more years he gave Jacob. But he doesn't promise everybody that. The other thing I think was interesting in this is that Jacob came and he says, Joseph, this is what I want to have happen. Help your family prepare for your death. I'm telling you, folks, from a pastor's perspective, this is invaluable. Let your family know what you, what you want. Jacob said, take me back to the burial place where Abraham and Sarah 
where mom and dad are buried. Take me back there. I want to be buried there. Promise me you'll do that. When I was at the police department, it's been over 20 years ago now, the day Jason Horoff died, young man killed out on the freeway out here. And as we started to put things together, he had, not, he had written out nothing. We knew nothing where his life insurance was. We didn't know what he wanted for a funeral. The family, having lost this young man, didn't know what to do. And unfortunately, I think, in some ways, deaths like that take on their own momentum. Pretty soon the governor was calling. The governor wants to speak at the funeral. That means we have to do protection for the governor. We had funerals. We had a funeral in, in Salem the day before the funeral for Jason. It means accommodations. We had officers coming from not only the United States, but around the world came to his funeral. They take on a life of their own, and I, just, I felt for this family that's grieving their son, and we, put, we had to put all this together. Shortly after that, I put together a form for every officer to fill out. And it was pretty comprehensive. It was six pages. Where, where, are, your, where are your financial documents? What, where do you bank at? Do you have any investments someplace else? Who do, you want to, who do you want to notify your family should you die in the line of duty? Because you may not want certain people to show up at your door of your wife or your husband. Where do you want to have your funeral? What song do you want to have sung? Are, do you, are you a military personnel? Do you get uh, military honors? Those, and that was, I thought, oh, well, great. We've got that. It all step, kept locked in the safe until the day somebody died. And little did I know, a year later, one of my best friends would die in his sleep at home. And I went and I pulled that out because his family had no clue what he wanted. And I was able to handle them a doc, hand them a document. I said, this is what he wanted. And we buried him the way he wanted to be buried. In the place that he wanted to be buried. And it helped that family know exactly where everything was that they needed to take care of all of his business. That was the single most helpful thing I think I've ever done was to be able to handle that to his widow and say here everything you need to know to take care of your husband help your family prepare for your death because life is terminal it's also come on up Chris it's also a good time to talk to your family about your faith. It's a good time to let them know how much Jesus mean, means to you. Because the reality is, is just like we talked about, one day everybody gets to stand before God. And getting up there and say, well, Mama believed does not get you into heaven. Well, Daddy believed doesn't get you into heaven. It's what you believe in what Jesus Christ did.